Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Everyone, you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Destra. And Brooke and myself have our favorite, favorite Monday guest, Taryn Hatcher. And we have for you, Flyers fans, some more fun talk as this offseason continues through December. Brooke, Taryn, it is Sean Couturier's birthday on this Monday as we record. Yay! Happy birthday, Sean. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Sean Couturier. I'm sure you're listening to this right now with bated breath, waiting for us to wish you a happy birthday. So to you, sir, I wish you a wonderful year full of health and more Selkie trophies. Yes, that's what Taryn like, said. It sounded like Taryn wrote that down, but she did not. So that was <laughs> I did it. I did it. I'm just such a sarcastic loser that things like that come to the top of the dome in a matter of nanoseconds. So... <laughs> Well done. 27 was a great year for Sean. Hopefully he can do it again in 28. Uh, For those listening, Taryn's birthday is on Christmas Eve. So, uh, yeah. So also wish me happy birthday. Yes. Do not just (laughs) be caught up in Christmas Eve. Wish Taryn a happy birthday. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Before we get into Sean Gatorier and his great birthday and kind of where he stands with the Flyers, it's never, it's never a bad time to talk goalies, Brooke and Taryn. I think we can always agree with that in Philadelphia. And the reason we're thinking of goalies is because reports came out, national reports from the likes of Pierre Lebrun, uh, Frank Saravelli, is that the NHL could be looking at 52 games. More so, it sounds like they're looking more at 56. But in that range for next regular season, uh, with a possible start date around mid-January, obviously we know there are still some hurdles to get past. But it does sound like maybe a season in the 52 to 56 game range. So I had us thinking, how could the Flyers split up their goalie tandem? We know they like to use Brian Elliott. We know Carter Hart is still young. Um, Brooke, in an ideal situation, how would you think it could play out for the Flyers with Carter Hart, Brian Elliott in a 56-some game season? I think this is the perfect 
season an opportunity to see really what Carter Hart is made of. And obviously everybody already knows he's the future. He's the franchise goaltender that Flyers fans have been waiting for basically since Ron Hextall in the eighties. So everyone's really excited for that. And I think that since we have a condensed season, the Flyers are in a really great situation right now where they can just kind of throw things to Carter Hart and say, see what you can make of this season. See what you can do. Now, that obviously by no means is throwing Brian Elliott to the bench, like expecting him to never play. I think that the back-to-back situation, if they ever play games within, you know, 24 hours of one another, obviously they're going to go one goalie one night, one goalie the other. That's basically common sense, unless you're like Hank. (laughs) Um, But... I really think that this is a great opportunity to see how Carter Hart takes the season and handles things. And obviously it's, again, we're not seeing a full season of him. We still haven't seen a full season of him, but I think this is a great opportunity to allow him to settle down and be like, okay, let's make this my team, you know? Um, but the best thing is we still have Brian Elliott. So if Carter Hart goes out and has a clunker game, you know that you have Moose coming in and being able to just really solidify the pipes too because I, I love our, our goalie tandem. I really do. I talk about it all the time. I'm so happy that Elliott's back. Yeah, I think Brian Elliott's really grown grown into his role here. He, I think he really now has fully embraced what he is for the Flyers. I think there's a reason why he came back on a one-year deal and I think there's a reason why the organization really likes him. And I think there's a reason why he really likes the organization. I think he really likes his situation with Carter Hart and has really embraced being that backup, that mentor, and a guy that's going to play, too. He wants, he's competitive. He wants to play. Taryn, what would you think of, say, it's a 56-game season. You split that in half. That's 28 games. If you had to say now, how many games would you like to see Carter Hart play and how many games would you like to see maybe Brian Elliott play? I liked they, – they seemed to strike a rhythm last year where it was kind of let's let Carter play until we figure out where his weakness is and then let's insert Brian in there. So last year, obviously, the big storyline was Carter was phenomenal. I mean, essentially unstoppable at home, but had a really tough skin on the road. And then Brian Elliott had a string of games where he played phenomenal on the road and, you know, really became exactly who the Flyers needed um, – so for me, it's not even a numbers thing. It's more of a we're still dealing with a young kid in Carter Hart thing who we know is incredibly mature. But you look at his season so far in the NHL, his first season was on a, a historical ride of an NHL high starting goalies for a single season with the Flyers where he basically was brought in when they had publicly said they did not want to have to call him up that early. So he was in an odd situation there, stepped up to the plate, played really well. And then last season, obviously, everything with COVID, cut the season short, went and played pretty well in the playoffs in a bubble situation that had never happened before. Um, So to to then put the pressure on a team to somehow, I, I don't know what this playoff setup will look like, none of us do, but you know, to figure out how to make it into the playoffs on a 50 something game season and all the, every game starts to matter more. It's not like the NFL where you play a significantly fewer amount of games, but 
you, you don't know how somebody's going to react to that yet. We just don't, especially once, let's say, let's say you hit, they play a, a 56 game season, right? So that's what 28 would be the midway point. You're talking about after just 28 games, you've got players putting immense amount of pressure onto a playoff run, right? For me, everything will be about let's let's see how Carter does, and then let's bring him in, bring in Brian Elliott when we need to. Like Brooks said, back-to-back situations. Carter has a tough night, you know, some kind of nagging little thing, whatever it is. Because I and I asked Brian Elliott about this a few months ago when we were doing off-season interviews. I kind of said point blank to him because he's he's a great guy and we have a pretty good relationship. I felt comfortable enough to ask him was. Even when Brian Elliott plays a good game, the questions after that game are about Carter. Like yeah. every, every, out of every 10 questions he gets, eight of them are usually about Carter. And luckily the Flyers have found a real gem in Brian Elliott, who is, I think, stable in his career, stable in his confidence, stable in what he contributes to the team, who goes, that's fine. You know, if I get the win and the team does well, I'll answer those eight questions. I don't particularly care. And I mean, that's, that's just something that I think is going to be invaluable to the Flyers this next season, because it it is going to be a pressure cooker of a year. Yeah. Cause like you said, the games will quickly get bigger and bigger unlike years past, as we know, and Hart made 40 starts last year, played 43 games. I see no reason why he shouldn't play 35 to 40 again, maybe. Um, depending on how things go, but I agree. I would like to see it be Carter, Carter, Carter. Uh, obviously not all in succession, but I would like to really see them focus on Carter as the number one, see how he feels game in and game out, when he needs rest, when he's in a funk, and then you go to Brian. And that's what's, that's the beauty of Brian Elliott. He's made a career out of being a tandem goalie. He will be ready. He's embracing this role. Good for him for embracing it. I remember uh, when we spoke to Brian Elliott after the 2018-19 season, before he signed another one-year deal um, to come back. And I remember someone asked him about, would he be open to coming back and being a mentor for Carter Hart? And at first he kind of smiled and was like, I'm not sure how I really uh, – I'm not sure how I feel about that word mentor or mentorship. Um, He's like, I I still feel like I can play and I want to compete for playing time. I don't think he was shooting that down. I think he just wanted to say, hey, I'm, I'm still here competing. I can help this team win myself, not just being a dad of sorts to uh, Carter Hart. So uh, I think everyone now in the organization, of course, in that locker room and uh, throughout the organization, in the front office, the coaching staff, they all respect Brian Elliott. And heck, I think the fans do too. I I think the fans have seen what he has done for this organization and they're happy he's back. So it's it's a good tandem to have. And in a shorter season, uh, even better, I would say, because I feel like you have a little more flexibility. You're not worrying about, um, hey, should we be playing our starter more? I think you're going to know, like, you're going to know when games are important and when you need to get guys, you know, a blow uh, to take some rest. So all good things there. Yeah. I think that the Flyers finally found the perfect mix of how to use Elliot. Like last season, Brian Elliott was used in the way that he has needed to be. People would harp on him the past few seasons with the Flyers because they had no one else. They had no goaltending, no solid player that could go out every single night. So Brian Elliott was getting worked into the ground or worked into the ice, if we're being ridiculously specific. And 
was have he had so much pressure on his shoulders that should not have fallen on him. So the fact that they had Carter Hart be able to step up last season and they found like this great home road dynamic between Hart and Elliot, it allowed Elliot to be able to be the goaltender that he knew he was capable of. So yeah. he came in in those clutch moments. He came in on the road and stepped up. He was able to, those few games that Hart was pulled when it was just a complete off night, he, he stabilized these games. And that is why it's working so well, is because the Flyers are finally utilizing Brian Elliott the way that he needed to be for the Flyers to succeed. And for everything that hasn't worked out with the Flyers goaltenders of yesteryear, everything came together in a really nice way this past season that I think made Brian Elliott want to come back once more. Because like Brooke was saying, when they were also, when they were running him into the ice, it it was years of him coming off of like bad core issues. He, He talked to us last summer, so summer of 2019, about saying, you know, I finally feel like I got a summer where I could just work on my on my craft and not have to go to PT and split half the time on physical therapy and rehab and half of the time trying to improve. I could just improve. And then we saw the fruits of those labors. Like the thing that worked out perfectly for Brian Elliott as well, I think, and for Carter for that matter. And, it, and it's one is so reciprocal to the other. And I do think Flyers fans have a respect for that. I do think they see that because Carter could be in a much worse situation if Brian Elliott was not, A, the type of person and B, the type of goaltender he was this past season. But when Carter needed it, Brian came in and played well. And it took a lot of heat and a lot of pressure off of Carter, which also I think took a lot of pressure off of the team entirely because let's face it, when it comes to Flyers fans – there's a certain protection that they feel towards Carter. And if the team hangs Carter out to dry, people get heated towards the team. And then you, you have Brian Elliott come in and he can, he can stand on his head on a night where you call him in for the first time in a week to play a game. And he did time and time again. And it established this great relationship of Carter. I don't think has ever felt threatened by Brian Elliott. And Brian Elliott has never felt resentful towards Carter for his role because both of them have really excelled. And I think they realize that one of them is integral to the success of the other, which is a great place for the Flyers to be in, especially given the weirdness of this past season and probably this upcoming season. Yeah, Carter Hart is the future goalie, as we know. So we know how important the backup is to him. This is a kid that you're talking about is going to be your goalie for the next decade if things go all well and planned. Uh, so you want to surround them with positive, good people. And uh, what Brian Elliott has been for Carter Hart has been massive. Uh, Carter Hart has said it, how much he appreciates Brian Elliott. And I think that's why the Flyers value him so much, is that this 23-year-old kid who is the future of this team in net really likes this guy, and he's worked well with him. Bring him back for another year. And uh, that's the beauty, is that this is more of a subplot going into this next season. Goaltending is a subplot. It is not the focus. Finally. Finally, exactly. It is not going to be a crazy headline. If it's a headline of anything, it'll be probably for a positive story. It'll be a story that's saying, hey, goalie looks good for the Flyers finally. So that's great to see. Tis the season to thrill at the Nissan year-end sales event. Get in, then get out, and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup 
are sure to raise your pulse. Brooke and Taryn, Brooke, let's start with you. I think Sean Couturier is only getting better. I know we always look at age and we put it under a microscope um, in hockey, but Sean Couturier is certainly in his prime and probably only getting better. Would you agree? I wrote, duh, with a period <laughs> as, my, <laughs> as my analysis for that because <laughs> – I hate that I crack myself up sometimes oh, because I'm not funny. But, yeah, of course, Couturier is right in his prime, and you know that it's only going to continue to grow. Even He's the kind of player that, yes, he finally won the Selkie, something that he should have been nominated for last season, and then, you know, he was a top three finalist the season prior. That's not enough for him. That's not the end game. That's not, okay, I'm, I'm the best. I, I won the Selkie trophy. Cool, I can lean back now. No, that's not his mentality. And I think that's why he works so well with Philly and the Flyers. It's because he knows that there's still work to be done. There's no parade on Broad Street. I mean, even if they won, there still wouldn't have been a parade, But which I'm thankful for because if I wasn't there to experience it, it would haunt me for the rest of my life. Anyways. <laughs> He's, he's only going to get better, and he's only going to grow. And we've said it a few times on the podcast over the, since the offseason, basically. He's the best player on the team. Mm -hmm. And he's rightfully earned that title. He's rightfully earned that position. And he's not going to come in and let people down or stall his, his growth because it doesn't matter how old he's getting. And frankly, I don't think that that's old as a player. Sean Couturier is not a guy that's we, – we, we know this. We've heard his teammates and his coach say time and time again, he's not the flashiest player. Um, he's not the fastest. He's not going to blow you away with speed. He's a guy that's not – so, like, when you get older, maybe you lose a step in the speed department or um, in the flash department. That's not Sean Couturier. He's going to continue to work hard and just be a beast, and that's not going to go anywhere. Like, the, the physicality and the way he protects the puck and gets after you for checking-wise, like, that's not going to go away. And you see some of the players, like Patrice Bergeron, a guy that he's kind of looked up to in terms of the Selkie model, the gold standard for that award. Bergeron had his career year at 33 years old. And um, you look at Claude Drew had his career at 30, 31 years old. Um, guys are hitting their prime going into their 30s. And Katori is a guy that I just don't think is going to slow down because his game doesn't really – doesn't really permit him to slow down as he gets older. Like, father time's not really going to catch up to him, in my opinion. Taryn, what do you think? I, I don't – I think that there's a precipitous decline that will happen before this season when it comes to Sean Couturier. No, like, of course not. <laughs> like, and I was trying to think about it, and I, I kind of would like to pose a question to you. What do you think is the optimum age for a hockey player, you know, to hit their prime? It seems like – Obviously, with football, that that number when it comes to certain positions hovers right around like 24. And then now we're talking about quarterbacks approaching their 40s and, you know, stuff like that. But with hockey, I don't know. What do you guys feel like is is the age where you start to make the turn toward twilight of the career? I think – and, again, it doesn't, doesn't fall under the category for every single player, but – Hockey is that kind of sport where it's okay to take time to develop 
and adapt to a league. It's a sport like no other. You're on ice skates, for God's sake. I, I can't even skate forward. And you see these guys. It just it always baffles me when you kind of see some professional athletes in other leagues saying, oh, yeah, I could play hockey. There's no, like, <laughs> duh, it's easy. It's like, no, no, it is not. I, and granted, yes, I do cover hockey, but it is the most difficult sport to play. It's the most competitive. It's the most, it's, it's ridiculous. And that's why it's my favorite, but players adapt and grow differently in this league than any other. So late twenties, if, if a player's hitting their prime, then that's great. You're going to have those younger guys that come in and completely break that standard. That's normal, but it's not, crazy or out of pocket to be like, yeah, a player's going to hit their prime when they're 29 years old. And that's great because, I mean, granted, not everybody's going to be a Yager who's going to play more for more seasons than I've been alive. But it's just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. But being able to hit their prime in the late 20s is great because that just lengthens their career, hopefully, because – they grow into that peak, they play through that peak, and then they're able to help their teams as not necessarily declining, but shifting responsibilities into basically new roles and positions on a team when they're aging. I think the thing that's uh, reassuring, or at least in me, kind of uh, gives me confidence in the fact that you're not going to see a massive drop off with Sean Couturier until I think he's literally too old and his body starts to break down on him, which knock on wood, I think is many years away because they literally, they already call Sean the piano man. Cause they joke that he skates like he has a piano on his back. They've, they've had that joke about him since he was like 19 years old. So that's not his wheelhouse, which is a good thing because sometimes that's the first thing to go with injury, with age, with, you know, a dip in self-confidence. Couturier's strengths are the keystones of what makes a good, solid hockey player. And those things don't fade unless your body starts to fail you or you lose willpower and interest. And I think as we've seen from Sean Couturier, the latter is not going to happen probably ever. And the former, I don't expect to happen for a long time. I, even when you watch Sean Couturier's like selfie trophy acceptance video, it really sat with me that clearly this is not what he does it for. He doesn't do it for that. That is a byproduct of what he does. He does what he does for the team because the whole speech, he's professional and he's polished, but he's clearly uncomfortable. It is not his thing. He doesn't want to be the guy in the sun, in the spotlight, taking up space. He's, he just wants to be a great hockey player. And those type of people seem to have durability. So for me, I expect, yeah, Sean Couturier will only get better. And, then, and, and I don't know how much better he gets. I don't know what skill he sharpens or, or undeveloped skill that he develops. I don't know what's left because he won the Selkie Trophy. He was on NHL Network's top 50 players. Like, he's already quite good. Um, but I think he'll be one of those guys at the top of the NHL mountain where he's at right now for 
for quite a few more years. And it also depends on, on who's around them and what's around them, but the Flyers have a lot of those young pieces locked into place that he's played really well with. So we shall see. As you mentioned, Taryn, he has already arrived. That is for sure. And I think the exciting thing is we all believe and the Flyers believe that he can get better and will get better. If we know Sean Couturier, the way he works at it, um, he will get better. And like you said, Taryn, a very low-key, do-not-look-at-me kind of player. But that does not mean he has not created some memories for fans. We definitely know he has made some memories and put them into the memory bank for Flyers fans. Brooke, uh, off the top of your head, what is one of your favorite Sean Couturier memories? So this is – it probably goes hand-in-hand hand is the fact that I saw it live before okay. I worked in sports. This was the season before – my intern year before I really was able to start establishing my career. So I was there as a fan. And I think that's probably why it resonates even more because I was like, holy crap, I witnessed this live. How cool is that? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's game six against the Penguins. Um, playing on a torn MCL. He played games uh, five and six on a torn MCL, which that alone is ridiculous. Yes. On top of that, he scores a hat trick and did every single thing he could in his power to try and get a game seven out of that series. Now, I could sit here and be bitter and complain how there should have been a game seven because the officiating of that game was absolute garbage, but I won't because I think everybody already knows that. But it was just, it was the last game that I attended as a fan before things kind of shifted in my career. I mean, I was still in school. So being able, and it it sucked because they lost, but I was able to watch Couturier just be like this excellent player and person who carried his team and did everything that he could on on a terrible injury that, you know, it's it's difficult to score a hat trick when you're 100% healthy let alone when you're, you're favoring one leg. So it's just a memory that's always going to stick with me for many different reasons. But it's just – it was so cool that I witnessed that live. And, man, I really thought they were getting a game seven. But, yeah, I'll, I'll always look to that as not only one of my favorite Coots memories, but probably fan memories in my lifetime. So – that was such a cool Thanks one. for that, Couturier. Yeah, that was – sometimes we remember the games most when we were younger or a fan, like you said, Brooke. That's such a good one. And, man, did he personify Philly toughness there. And, um, and, and to do it against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and I believe the Penguins, if I recall, they were the defending champs, I believe, going into that year. Um, so to do that, uh, just awfully impressive. Taryn, how about you? So mine isn't like a big – because Brooke kind of, I think, took, took the big one. Yeah, um, sorry. It's okay. Mine, this is just like a personal, I remember being like, excuse me? So my, this was last November. Flyers were playing the Devils. Mm-hmm. Goes to a shootout. I'm not working that game. My cousin was getting married. It, it was probably, it I was the only game in the past two years I have not watched either in person or pre-game to post-game without getting off the couch. Um, it's at my cousin's wedding, and I'm getting score updates, and it's going to a shootout. May have been drinking some champagne. 
and I'm on, I'm in an Uber on the way home. Coots, what? Like, wow. And then I watched the video because the thing is, <laughs> because the thing is that like, like we said, he's just, I know Niskanen was steady Eddie, but he, he's your other steady Eddie. He's not your flashy guy. He's, yeah. he's Coots. And um, even his reaction after it, he was just like pretty cerebral and even keeled after he scored the goal that won the game. But it was a sick shootout goal. And I just remember, cause I'm like, of course I miss this game that goes to overtime that, you know, they went in a shootout, which hindsight 2020, they went to about 85 shootouts oh last God. season. So terrible, <laughs> you know, That's there was redemption at some point, but um. Yeah, I just remember sitting there being like, what can't this guy do at that point? Because he was also, I remember, I don't remember if he was still on a line with TK and Limblom at that point, mm-hmm. the TLC line, but um, but that line just looked so phenomenal early in the season last year. And it became very apparent that TK was going to have a breakout year. And it I think it I think it started to put on notice on a national stage just how good Sean Couturier was as well very early on. And Elaine Vigneault did so much, I think, to push that narrative of this guy is amazing and you need to watch him. And then to basically have a game come down to a skill situation like that and for him to nail it was pretty sick to see. So That's awesome. He he does not get enough credit for how skilled he is. He is a skilled player. I know that's not his MO, but we all know he is a skilled player. And um, it was funny during that stretch where we kept, we would all keep laughing when Elaine Mio consistently put a player that was maybe in an offensive scoring slump, uh, get him with Sean Couturier and he's going to play better. And it, it was happening. Couturier would break them out of a slump and we would ask Sean Couturier about it. And he just very humbly would kind of like smile and not say like anything about himself. He's like, I, no, he's like, I'm just, you know, I'm just playing and we're playing good hockey. Like, just not one to take credit in that is Sean. I'm just like super good, and it's like it's pretty chill. And <laughs> it's hard. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he literally would smile because I think he was embarrassed that we were trying to ask yeah. about him and what he was doing. And it just it's just not him. You're not going to get it out of him. But wait, um, can I tell one other really funny Sean Couturier story really quick? Go yeah. for it. So Columbus is the ugly suit trip. At least it was last year for the Flyers. Every trip, one trip, they wear their ugliest suit. This year it was Columbus. I think it's usually Columbus, but that's neither here nor there. Um, And Sean Couturier was wearing his suit. They all went out to dinner at the same restaurant that some of us in broadcasting and Ian LaPerriere and Mike Yo and Kim Dillabaugh, so the Flyers assistant coaches and goalie coach, they ended up sitting at our table with the broadcast team. And Lappy and Mike Yo see Sean Couturier – big pro Rob and somebody else walk in all together and they pull Sean over because Sean was still wearing his suit. Everybody else changed out of it as soon as they got to the hotel. And, um, and Ian LaPerriere just starts like, like hawking Sean about his suit. And then Sean told us that his, his, his grandpa made his suit. It wasn't a bad suit either. It was just like brown. But um, did Ian LaPerriere feel bad, or did he not find out? I don't that? know. It might have been Mike Yo. It might have okay. even been okay. Dilly. 
but it, like Ariel was like, oh God, you got to change out of that. Like, come on. And he was like, I didn't pack anything else. And they were just like, no, it's Columbus, but change. And, um, and, um, and he was like, my grandpa made my suit. Cause his, I think his grandfather is like, a tailor. I don't even know if that part was a joke, but it genuinely did not seem like it was. And, and I remember like having such bad secondhand embarrassment in that moment where I was like, <laughs> he did not say that. And, uh, oh my God. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't poorly tailored. It was just Brown. All the brown but it will brown. always stick with me because it was like, Sean's so even keeled when he talks and the way he said it was just the delivery was perfect it was just how he talks and immediately everybody was like <laughs> so oh my that's God. my that's my uh, happy birthday Sean Couturier memory for everyone <laughs> there we go well we hope he wears that suit again next season at some point uh because we would love to see it nothing wrong with the brown suit good for you Sean Couturier um for me good for your papa yeah exactly yes exactly um, yeah, for me, mine's like a low-key one, too, but it, it still sticks out because um, I just remember it pretty clearly. It was December of last season, and as you both know, uh, from a practice, sometimes when you're in the, in the locker room after a practice, you know, guys come trickling in and at their own pace. Some get off uh, right after practice. Some stay on for extra work, so on and, and uh, so forth. And so almost always you'll see every player come in at some point. Um, usually you know, you'll be in there long enough that even the guys that are getting extra work, they will eventually come in and you'll see them come into the dressing room. For some reason, Sean Couturier just never came into the dressing room. It was taking him forever. Little did we know he was still out there getting extra work in. And what didn't make what that was cool in itself. Obviously all players get extra work in, but Couturier was out there. I feel like for close to an hour getting extra work in with uh, Angelo Ritchie, the uh, Flyers skills coach. So we leave the locker room, us uh, reporters, we leave the locker room, and there's, there's Couturier, one-on-one with Angelo Ritchie, getting in probably an hour's worth of extra work. There so happened to be a fan there, a younger fan that stayed there and wanted to watch Couturier just go through his drills. I think it's pretty cool. That's what we missed about practice was fans could go there and just stay right up on the glass and watch their favorite players. God bless this one fan. He stayed and he wanted to watch Sean Couturier. An hour after Couturier gets done his extra work, uh, um, of an hour uh he goes over and you think he's walking off but he grabs sticks and he goes back onto the ice and he brings it over to the fan and gives the fan a stick i thought that was pretty cool like here's this guy selkie trophy winner eventually you know he wins the selkie trophy but a very established player a star and here he is getting probably an hour worth of uh extra work and then he goes over and gives the fan a stick and made probably made that fan's day that fan will probably never forget it and uh, Katori did not do it for anyone. He didn't do it for cameras. There was no one there. Like, I just happened to be leaving the dressing room and stayed for a brief minute just to watch him do some extra work, and there he did. Gave a fan a stick and uh, made the day of that fan, and I think it was a, kind of a case in point of why Sean Katori is so good. He works hard, and he's very humble and driven. So that was my Sean Katori memory. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. Whenever our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. So I was kind of thinking with Sean Couturier, 28 years old, 200-foot center, the Flyers have two of those players. Kevin Hayes is also 28 years old and a 200-foot player. That is very exciting. A one-two punch down the middle of guys of that quality 
And guys in their primes, we, we said it with Katoria and Kevin Hayes as well. Chuck, I remember Chuck Fletcher said it uh, in training camp last year that they, what they loved about Kevin Hayes and signing him to that deal, a seven-year deal, was that he is entering the prime years of his career. And so is Sean Couturier, obviously. So it had us thinking a little bit. Down the middle, one through four, centers one, two, three, and four. Brooke, let's start with you. What would be your ideal lineup for the Flyers down the middle? All right. So it's, it's basically set in stone right now. You're going to have Couturier at one and Kevin Hayes at two. Bada bing, bada boom. Depending on how lines change, you might want to swap them at one point. I don't see that happening, but it's Katoria Hayes. Now, obviously, things get a little interesting, a little spicy, I guess you can say. The bottom six of the roster because... Oh, spicy! Spicy! Yikes. <laughs> um, you don't know what the status is with Nolan Patrick. And yes, he is, again, playing in a contract year. So you would assume that because he just accepted that he wants to prove himself, he wants to come back. But obviously, sometimes it is out of our hands. Um, it's, not, it's not in our hands personally at all. But, you know, ideally, I'd like to see him at 3C. Um, that's why I like the Hayes signing. I've said it from the minute they signed Hayes. That takes pressure off of Nolan Patrick, who is a young kid and is still, you know, trying to get his game together. And after missing an entire season, you don't want to throw him in the top six, and now they don't have to. Um, I would like to see Patrick there. Um, and then for the bottom line, I probably was going back and forth with, if, if everything goes wrong and you can't really find someone to fill the spot, you could put Lawton down mm -hmm. there. But moving him to the wing has really helped his game, his confidence, his drive as a player. And truthfully, he doesn't deserve fourth-line minutes anymore. He's really starting to contribute. And not that fourth-line is like a punishment by any means, but he, he deserves more playing time for the way that he's able to contribute. So if that's the case and they keep him on the wing, then I was also leaning toward uh, Connor Bunneman. Yeah. Because – we keep saying, oh, well, the next time that a center spot opens up, you're going to throw Morgan Frost there. No. They're going to give Morgan Frost as much playing time as they can in Lehigh Valley to give him top lines to grow his game. And I've stressed that more than enough times, so I don't have to say that today. Connor Bunneman, on the other hand, not that he doesn't deserve those kind of minutes as well, but he's already established a few seasons in Lehigh Valley. They know that that kind of jump with a few – lesser minutes is not going to kill his momentum as a player and you know he's he's a he's a big sturdy player as well that right down the middle if you have Couturier Hayes Patrick and Bunneman sheesh that's a wall <laughs> so I think that that would be great and you know he he does deserve it because I did cover him a lot in Lehigh Valley um and he's, he's a hardworking player. He gets along with the guys, and he's always wanting to be that kind of person who steps up. And I think he could really benefit off of having a little more responsibility thrown on him. So, yeah, that's what I got. Brooke, I like that. As you, as you said, they really like Connor Bunneman's size and his ability to play bottom six center. I think they really liked him at that spot before they acquired Derek Grant and Nate Thompson. And that was just a product of, hey, we – do we want to put all this pressure on this rookie 
um, in our bottom six as we gear up for the playoffs? Or do we want to get someone, uh, two, uh, two veteran players with size that are going to be on expiring contracts? But I think they had really had no qualms with how Connor Bonham was progressing. And, yeah, let's hope we see him right there, right in the competition for that, for that fourth-line center spot. I think ideally to start the season – I would like it to be Couturier 1C, Kevin Hayes 2C, probably Scott Lawton at 3C, and Nolan Patrick at 4C. Just minutes-wise, I don't think Nolan will be ready to go in and play third-line minutes. I think he probably needs fourth-line minutes to start. Um, I don't know if that's a recipe for disaster for him, though, because I, I don't know where his confidence is at. And immensely, I don't think any of us really know um, where he's at or what it's going to take for him to get back to where he – rightfully belongs, which should be 3C. But we, we mentioned this right before we went live on the podcast. You hope and pray for Nolan Patrick's sake that he is healthy for so many reasons that go behind hockey. For the sake of what we're talking about when it comes to hockey, he also needs to, to be good to play 3C. Because if not, you have a, a fully capable Scott Lawton who, yes, plays well on the wing, but who can be – in there and probably contributing more in that 3C position. So ideally, I would love for Scott to be able to break out to the wing at some point, really excel there. A a line of maybe, you know, Nolan, Scott, and Michael Roffle or something to me sounds like a a line that could come in and, first of all, just physically mash people and also contribute, contribute, excuse me. (laughs) My, my old nearly 28-year-old brain is slipping um, and contribute both offensively and, and defensively. And, um, but ideally to start the season, I, I don't really want to see him there. I want to see him probably with much more limited time and in a 4C spot. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I, there's, there's just so many question marks with that. Again, I know we talked about the offer sheet like months ago. But the, the offer sheet is a, was a really wonderful thing in that it gave him the vote of confidence and respect of the Flyers front office offering him that. It also puts a very definitive and short timeline on how long he kind of has to prove himself and produce. Um, and so – I think if he can progress to be a 3C by the end of the season, that, that puts the Flyers in a much better position. That puts him in the long term in a much better position. I just don't think he's going to be there. I don't want to see him there to start the year unless he comes out like gangbusters and shocks the world. So we'll see. That would be a nice way to kind of ease him in is have him play fourth line minutes and just not have to throw him in there and be like, hey, go be our 3C. Like we know 3C has some really important responsibilities. And I also think he, Lowen Patrick, if he is able and ready to play, he will really have to earn his role with Elaine Vigneault. Elaine Vigneault really said it a lot during all of last season was that I'm not going to talk about Nolan Patrick. I'm just going to talk about the players that are here and healthy and the ones that I can play. Um, I haven't seen Nolan play. He said that a lot. He even said it after this season. He said, I've hardly ever seen Nolan Patrick play. I've seen him in bits and pieces uh, in some minor drills, but that's it. And I think he's making a point there that, one, he's being honest. He has not seen Nolan Patrick a lot. And, two, I think he's saying, hey, listen, 
you know, I hear great things about this kid, but I haven't seen him. And when I do see him, he's going to have to earn his role. He's going to have to earn his spot. So I wouldn't just throw him in at that three C right away. It's, you know, he might have to really earn that role. Cause like Brooke mentioned, and you mentioned Taryn as well, Connor Bunneman, Scott Lawton's Michael Raffles, these guys, you know, they can play down the middle, they're big bodies and they're proven. So yeah, for me in a perfect world, long story short, Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes, I would love to see Nolan Patrick at 3C. I think that's what the Flyers had envisioned before they knew of um, the migraine disorder and the symptoms that he was experiencing. I think that's what they envisioned with those three. Three big 200-foot centers down the middle that would be awfully tough to play against. So in a perfect world, I'll say Nolan at 3C. If not, I would love to see Morgan Frost come in and prove himself and maybe take on that role. I I know they don't see him as a fourth-line center, but maybe they could get him uh, some third-line center minutes and get some offense out of him there. Um, and then I really like what Brooke had to say about Connor Bunneman. I would love love to see him at fourth line center. If not Connor Bunneman, maybe Michael Roffel. We've seen him win faceoffs. Uh, and Scott Lawton, of course, like you guys both mentioned, can play center, can play wing. Great versatility to have there. But uh, yeah, we'd love to see Nolan Patrick and Connor Bunneman, two young kids in their bottom six. Why not? Can I just on the Nolan subject really quick? Because this this I found a lot, especially among fan reaction last year. But the whole way Elaine Vino addressed the Nolan Patrick situation, to some people, the reaction I would get on my social media when I would post our articles about it or videos about it or whatever, people almost seemed to think that Elaine Vino was mad at Nolan Patrick or, um, I, I don't know, there was, there was a, a, a weird sense I've got amongst people that they, I don't think they always liked the way that he addressed, like it wasn't coddling him enough or something. Elaine Vigneault does, is a great coach who very much respects his players. Um, I always, you know, I try not to get into too many um, tiffs on Twitter anymore because that's counterproductive and not mature. Um, but um, I almost want to shake these people and be like, he, he just hasn't seen him play. He, we didn't see him play. We didn't see him practice. Like, we're finally seeing him scrimmage now. But Jordan, Brooke, myself, we were at practices all the time. I was at practices on the road. I would stay when we were on the road and watch the scratches skate a lot of times as well when Nolan was there just to try to see what was going on. Elaine Vigneault is already in meetings when the scratches are skating. And so it is truly a matter of not having seen him play. And that is it. He will have to prove himself. Just like Jordan was saying, there is absolutely no doubt about it because he kind of, before he got drafted two years before he got drafted, I think he was talked about as a generational talent, almost like a Connor McDavid generational kind of talent. The year before he got drafted, it slipped a little bit. That's why he fell to number two in the draft. Still came in with the expectations of a wonder boy, wonder boy, has had to deal with immense expectations from a fan base. And now this crazy, you know, really difficult medical dis- disorder that affects you so much mentally and physically. So when Elaine Vino says what he says, just so everyone is clear, he doesn't blame Nolan Patrick for being sick. But, but Elaine Vino is a matter of fact guy. He has never seen him play a game of hockey that he has coached. Ever. Not one. Not a preseason game. Not a regular season game. Not even a scrimmage. So just need to put that to bed because 
it's, it's always like people seem like, well, why is he mad at him? <laughs> it's like, he's not mad at him. Yeah. You're reading too much into the text messages. I, I know there's not enough <laughs> LOLs at the end of what he says for it to be like happy and light, but it's just we, being realistic. That's just what the situation is. It's just funny. Get that no, it's funny. It's funny that you brought that up because I was actually thinking about that as we were further discussing Nolan and it, I thought that you brought that up. So I'm going to put my two cents in it too. Um, Elaine Vigneault is a coach that is all about what he can do to make his team better now. So, you know, there was a lot of time where, you know, he would be asked about Nolan Patrick and it's not that he was really frustrated about the situation. It's, it's like you said, he can't really comment on it because he didn't really see the development of Nolan Patrick. But in addition to that, he was never going to be a player in his first, in Vigneault's first season where he was going to be, you know, in, in the next week or something that he could bring a value to the team at the moment. And again, that's not on Vigneault and that's not on Patrick. It's a situation that nobody really knew how to handle and you, you were taking it month by month, game by game. And, you know, like you said, a lot of people really weren't happy or content with the way that Vigneault would address the situation, but it was also one of those things where because he didn't see Patrick and because Patrick wasn't able to help the team that he was coaching at this very moment in time, it was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't see him enough. He's not, you know, he's not a player that's going to be on our active roster anytime soon. So, you know, he's blunt. Yeah. You, got, you gotta and like it gets, that, though. And it gets dicey when you're talking about medical disorders that I'm sure Lindino does not fully, has not fully researched and does not feel comfortable commenting on. And it, the, the, the drastic difference between the way Chuck Fletcher comments on Nolan Patrick versus Elaine Vino, I think is, is what was jarring to people a little bit because Chuck Fletcher is so positive and optimistic, but realistic and, and kind of open with talking to us in the media to explain what's going on with Nolan. I think almost as a way to protect Nolan from having to address it himself. But at the same time, every single time it, it sparks interest in, well, can we speak to him? What did we do? What did he do? Yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And realistically, Elaine Vigneault is not involved with making Nolan Patrick's practice plan on the road to recovery for him. He's not. That is up to medical experts. And then he gets asked about it when, I mean, a lot of the times this was happening like day of games. And realistically speaking, I don't think Elaine Vigneault really wants to talk to us the majority of the time anyway. So <laughs> to talk to us about that specific thing. Like, he just wants to go to meetings. He wants to coach. He wants to go to meetings. I can confirm when he's on the road, he, he literally wants to go watch film, talk to people about hockey, like, talk to his assistant coaches about hockey, talk to them about planning for the next day. Like, he – I've talked to Coatsy about this because when Scott Gordon was around, Scott is so friendly and so kind and kind of the perfect AHL coach because of who he is. But um, Scott and AV could not be more different. Scott would walk up to me, hey, where are you from? Oh, Delran, where's that? Oh, you know, whatever. And Elaine Vino was like, hello, how are you? Hello. So, Mike Yo, I want to talk to you about what the defensemen are doing. And immediately turns to talk about that. And Coatsy has said, he is a coach. 
He is the, he is the definition of an NHL coach whose entire life is hockey. I know we joke about the boats and the martinis, but that is like, he's got a stark contrast between when he's on and when he's off. He does not want to talk to us, nonetheless talk to us about a medical condition that he does not have or completely understand or have control over. That's all that is. So please stop being mean to Elaine Dino. He is a nice person. Leave him alone. Leave Brittany alone. (laughs) I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. No, and I, I'd be lying to you. I, I was there and I've, I've asked Elaine Vigneault myself about Nolan Patrick. We all had, I was there countless times when he was asked. And I'd be lying to you if I said the first time I thought, yeah, he was kind of he was kind of short there about Nolan, but exactly what you both said. Uh, he is not. He, some people were like, "Why wasn't he more empathetic and sympathetic about Nolan?" And it's just it's a matter of fact. He's not going up to Chuck Fletcher's door every day, knocking on it and saying, "Where's Nolan? Do we know where?" Like that's just he. Like you said, he's so Lamino. He cares. He cares about Nolan. He cares about everyone. But he's just so passionate about winning every single day that uh, he was just coaching the guys that he had, and he hasn't seen Nolan Patrick yet. But I can tell you he's excited to see Nolan Patrick. I remember the day Nolan came out for a skills practice. It looked like he was practicing in full. Um, It had a lot of us thinking, wow, is Nolan Patrick taking a big stride in terms of practicing in full? It turned out to just be a skills practice, but he was out there. And I remember we asked Elaine about it, like, hey, is Nolan, has he been clear for contact? What what does this mean? And he said, no, he hasn't. It was just a skills practice. But uh, he's like, he smiled and he said, it did create a little bit of a stir, didn't it? And we were like, yeah, it did. It was exciting. And he smiled. He, you could tell he was excited about this kid. He knows about him a little bit. He hears yeah. him. So don't, don't think they don't like Noam Patrick, um, like you guys said. They, they're, they're excited. They want to see him progress. Uh, they're happy that he's living his life normally right now. And hopefully he can get back to playing the game he loves for the Flyers. So we'll see. At 4C. At 4C, <laughs> supporting Karen Hatcher. Take that to us. Just a start. Just to yeah. start. Take it to Vigno's office right oh. now. He's going to be like, he's going to come in and be like, listen, I need you to have less opinions. And yeah. I'm going to be like, yes, sir. Thank yes, you sir. for talking yes. to me today and goodbye. Yes. <laughs> Before saying, no. Um, <laughs> anyway, Taryn Hatcher, thank you so much as always for joining us. Brooke Dexter, thank you so much as well. And a special thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer. Flyers fans, thank you for listening. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 